Whether you are halishing for halas or wanting to braai or fine dine, this is Essen Fresen with Adrian Bagatti. It's all about the food. Good morning and welcome. Well, winter is definitely making its intentions known here. I've spent a lot of time traveling into Botswana and Zimbabwe, here in South Africa to Mpumalanga and Limpopo province, where thankfully the days are still well into the upper 28s or 20s and even 30s, which is my kind of weather. Traveling to these places has also made me realize just how privileged kosher South Africans are. We can go into any store in any dorp or town in the country and find something kosher to eat. And we're lucky because to a lesser extent, that is also true in places like Zimbabwe, Botswana, and even Zambia, where we found kosher products. We found them all the way up into Kenya and into Tanzania and Mozambique. So we are very lucky living in a small country or on the southern Saharan African countries are all linked quite well and we can get kosher food or kosher products, not food so much, pretty much anywhere. But now I'm getting ready for a very big trip to Botswana at the end of the month. So I thought I'd share a little bit about the planning that goes into this trip. Whether you're in Hutsprate in Limpopo, Hazyview in Pumalanga, or even Kasani in Botswana, once the trip has either been booked or there's a serious inquiry about a kosher trip, I get contacted either by the hotel, the travel agent, or the guests themselves. And the planning that goes into getting a lodge ready for a kosher group, whether it's two people or 20 or 40, is almost exactly the same. Crossing borders, though, is a little bit of an issue, as we're no longer allowed to take meat into other countries. And getting a permit doesn't actually mean they'll allow you in. So that's a bit of a hit and miss thing, too. The first thing we have to ask the clients is, are they Chal of Israel or not? Chal of Israel does limit what we can take because obviously South Africa only has one Chal of Israel um, producer currently. So, you know, menus are limited and what we can get is also, which means when the lodges drop their menus and we adapt them to kosher, we do have to make adjustments um, for people with um, having the ordinary kosher milk and cheese available here, that does make it a little easier. The second thing we need to know is the destination. Some lodges are actually better equipped for kosher than others. There are a few lodges around the country that have built themselves separate kosher kitchens. Some are under the best inn and some are not. Just have to ask. They'll tell you. And there are. There are plenty of places to go. But one of the most difficult aspects of providing kosher food made on site like fresh on site, is not only the availability of kosher food, but actually going into a kitchen where we've never been before. We go up usually the day before to kosher and everything, but we have no idea what's going on in there. We've never seen the kitchen before in some cases, and we have to convince the chefs. Um, and this usually starts a few days before, a few weeks before, because it's about five weeks before the clients that we do the bookings. You have to convince the chef to make you a bit of a space that is totally separate away from his main production or her main production. And that sometimes can be different. One place that we have been to, we've been there four times with four different areas to prep. So every time we get there, they give us another one and sometimes better than others. So that's been an interesting part of this experience over the years. But it's also where my meal planning and budgeting experience comes in. So currently I'm working on a trip for 40 people to Botswana 
for just two nights. And the planning and logistics that have become involved are very interesting. Obviously, starting to try get meat into Botswana is a little bit of a problem. There is a ban on all beef products in Botswana due to a recent minor outbreak of foot and mouth. So we've got a permit for this trip now, but a permit's not all that's needed. We now also need a letter from a rabbi stating that the meat is specifically for religious use only and not resale. Then the meat must be frozen, vacuum sealed, and even this is not a guarantee that we're going to get it into the border, which means we have to change from the planned meat bry to a fish bry because we can at least get kosher fish. I have been privileged this time. It's the first time I've been allowed on, to go on site beforehand, speak to the chef in person, and actually have a look at the kitchen. So that's been a great help. I was lucky to do something that is a little bit more fun. That is, spend somebody else's money buying the kit. We bought crockery, cutlery, pots, pans, knives, forks, everything, including some gas burners and an oven. So that should make life a lot easier. You're listening to the SNFSN Show on Chai FM. I'm Adrian Bugatti, your host. Whether you are chalishing for chalas or wanting to bry or fine dine, this is Essen Fresen with Adrian Bugatti. It's all about the food. I'm Adrian Bugatti, and we're talking about like my planning on how to get overseas or into Botswana for a trip. It's a very simple menu, as I said, but getting the meat in may be a little difficult. It's two bries and two buffet lunch breakfasts, and then the lunch is just you know, snacks that the clients are going to pack themselves from what we put out for the breakfast buffet. So obviously for the breakfast buffet, we do need to make enough to cover that they can take their snacks on. Plus we bought, I went shopping with the person there and we bought lots of kosher snacks. We found all sorts of products from South Africa. It's much easier than expected and it worked out really, really well. I mean, these trips are great. They're fun. They're exhausting. We start early in the morning And it is generally an 18-hour day. And unfortunately, we don't always get to go on the game drives because somebody has to stay behind in the kitchen. So that's another issue. Then we've got to get through the border with our own things. And I found that being able to, I have been able in the past to take my little frozen packaged meals and nobody's ever stopped me. It's in my suitcase. I think it quite depends on the quantity that you take through. I mean, it went through the scanner and everything, but nothing, you know, I wasn't stopped. So the second thing I'm going to talk about, because that's enough about my travel and my planning, it's, you know, when there's a chef involved, the chef does the menus and the meal planning and the shopping. When there's no chef, then I'm involved with the hotel chef and we discuss the menus and what items and where to buy it from here in Johannesburg and then get it delivered to them out wherever they are. If it's in South Africa, that's a little bit easier. If it's overseas, obviously, as I said, permits and stuff, but it can be done. Now, as I said, up in the north, it's still a little warmer, but down here, winter is kind of making itself known that uh, July is just a month away and we're about to head into winter. So we're getting cold. What doesn't help is obviously our load shedding. That is going to take a little bit of planning and some alternative thinking and obviously brine, (laughs) lots and lots of brine. So one of the things I can advise you on when cooking with load shedding in mind is if you are going to 
have load shedding at dinner time, make your meal in the daytime. And then if you don't have one of those wonder bags to keep it warm, because it does keep it hot for eight hours, or if you're like me, you don't have a big enough one, what I suggest is wrapping everything in newspaper and then putting towels and blankets over it. It will keep it warm for quite a long time. Uh, the other option is a gas fry or a gas bottle or whatever. Not the greatest to have inside your kitchen when it's, you know, if it's small enough, you can do it, but then you at least can have a hot meal and definitely invest in some thermos flasks for keeping water hot and keeping soup hot. And that's where my next thing is. So keeping yourselves full and nice and satisfied in winter is an important thing. And one of the problems in winter is for most of us, we tend to crave carbs and starch because they're heavy foods, they're comforting, and our bodies do need it when the weather is cold. And obviously the sun time, it, you know, the amount of time the sun is up is a lot shorter. It is definitely a comfort food and it's important that we understand. And it's where this horrible saying summer body comes from. I hate that term. But it is. It's because in winter, we are eating much more carb-heavy, starch-heavy foods than we do in summer where eating a salad is great because it's hot and the salad is nice and cool and it's something comfortable. You know, we don't mind it in summer. But eating it in winter is another story. I do not like salad in winter. I find it very uh off-putting. So one of the things that we've come across for this is the fact that there are some really great winter soups available to eat. And there are reasons for this. In winter, we do crave the carbs. This is true. And here are some of the reasons for that. Basically, carbohydrates and starch do convert to provide energy, which does help keep us warm. But then there's another thing. Melatonin, which is a hormone made by the body, is associated with sleep. A lot of people will know that they give it or take it to help sleep at night. It doesn't work for everybody, but it is found naturally in our body. And an increased melatonin production is triggered by shorter days with less sunlight. Higher levels of melatonin in winter months may cause you to feel more sluggish or tired during the day when paired with cold temperatures or stress. And this is something that makes quick energy boosts from chocolate or coffee really, really tempting when we need to. So that's an important part of why we crave this carbohydrate-rich food. Research has also suggested that a decreased exposure to sunlight lowers level of mood-boosting hormone serotonin. And this causes damages in your mood as well as your sense of well-being and plays a big role in depression and then something called seasonal affective disorder. Now, seasonal affective disorder is most common in winter in women. It's found mostly in Scandinavian countries, but it is spreading around the world. And it's usually between the ages of 18 and 45 in women. But it does affect people and it affects fun people in summer. So that's an important thing. Because carbohydrates encourage the production of serotonin, it's natural to find yourself reaching for starchy, sugary foods or a quick mood boost. And, you know, that is a reason why we need to be aware of what we are eating and putting in our mouths and cooking. 
Um, load shedding is not helping us because we want to cook things that are quick and pasta is quick to cook. And the pasta itself is not bad. It's what you stick on the pasta that's the problem. And in winter, you will find that you are going to put much more rich foods, uh, sources over your pasta. But the best one to stick to would be a tomato-based pasta sauce, uh, looking obviously at your sugar content in that. Let's talk about winter food options. As you know, I am a big fan of soups and I have talking, it's talking, sorry, spoken about these often and like soup is my go-to thing. Whether it's summer or winter, we eat soup. Cold soups in summer, warm soups in winter. And they can be made anytime. They can be frozen really well and just reheated. You can send them to school in a flask. All of those things, much easier. Or just put them in a flask to keep at home in case of load shedding. Uh, they usually keep for about four or five hours in a flask. So that's an important thing. So I thought my first recipe for today would be a nice soup. And we will give you that recipe in a moment. Whether you are halishing for halas or wanting to braai or fine dine, this is Essen Fressen with Adrian Bugatti. It's all about the food. This is Adrian and we're going to be talking soups. I love my soup. Absolutely love my soup, as I said. So the first soup I'm going to share with you is a really healthy, quick lunchtime soup. And it's full of warm and warmth and energy. And it's really, really a healthy one. It's a low GI soup. Low GI means low glycemic index, which means it keeps you not only full for longer, but it keeps your sugar levels at, a, at an even keel. So it's great for people who are diabetic. And people who are just wanting to eat well. The soup carbohydrates is 26 grams for a serving. It's 694 kilojoules per serving. So really low healthy soup. It's adapted from the recipe book called Eating for Sustained Energy by Lisbeth Davenport and Gabby Steenkamp. These are pretty much my go-to people for low GI foods. They sort of were the pioneers for South Africa on glycemic index. So minestrone soup, it says it serves six. In my house, it only serves four. So I do double up. Very important. Your ingredients that you will need, um, please note you will be able to get this off IFM's website later. You need five moles of canola oil or olive oil, whichever you prefer, two onions finely chopped, two cloves of garlic crushed, or two teaspoons of minced garlic. I use the squeeze bottle garlic. I'm lazy. One can of 410 grams of butter beans drained. Please make sure it's not the one in tomato sauce, but it's plain. The truth is you can use any beans, but butter beans work better. One stock cube or four teaspoons of stock powder, six cups of water, two carrots diced. Now you can use frozen carrots if you don't want to be chopping, or you can use carrots that, you know, are just slightly not as fresh as you would like, but not ready to be thrown out. Two sticks of celery sliced, two baby marrows chopped. I do sometimes actually grate mine rather than chopping them. It just thickens the soup nicely. And then three tomatoes diced. You use one cup of small durum wheat pasta shapes. So what I do with this is when I get, you know, when you open your pasta, your spaghetti, your macaroni, whatever pasta it is, there's always bits at the bottom that are like broken. I actually just keep those in another little jar and I would add it to the soup then. The other thing you can do is take your spaghetti and break it into small little pieces to put in. Two teaspoons of chopped flat leaf parsley. 
If you're going to use dried parsley, you would need a full teaspoon of that. So you halve it. And then salt and pepper to taste. Your method, heat the oil in a large pot, add the onion, garlic, and cook for five minutes until soft. Add the beans, stock and water, and simmer for 15 minutes. Add your vegetables and simmer for another 30 minutes. Add the pasta and simmer uncovered for 15 to, 10 to 15 minutes until your pasta is tender. Stir in your parsley and then adjust your seasoning to taste. You can make this soup into a meat soup by adding two or three slices of macon. Just chop it up with the and put it in at the same time as the onions. Or by using marrow bones, um, what I would do is I would brown the marrow bone first before putting it into the soup. It just seals in your flavor and gives it a nice richness. And it's a great. Once you add the marrow bone, please note that it is no longer a low GI food because of the fat content in your marrow bones. You can also turn the soup into a bit of a dairy soup by topping it with some grated cheese or serving it with a grilled cheese toast. The grilled cheese toast, basically, for those who don't know, is a slice of toast with a bit of cheese on top. You can, well, we like it that way, a bit of tomato sauce on the toast and then the cheese over and melted. And it's delicious to be served up. Now, another recipe from this group is their um, fake, uh, they they do a a fake uh, pumpkin soup, which is a healthy version. And that is also either as a lunchtime meal, it serves four, or as a starter, it's enough for eight people. And it is delicious. Five mils of canola or olive oil, a large onion coarsely chopped, three medium sweet potatoes peeled and chopped, 250 mils of dry white wine. Now, if you don't want to use wine in your cooking, you can just increase your chicken stock amount by that but the white wine does give it a beautiful flavor. You can use one chicken stock cube or 20 mils of chicken stock powder and two cups of boiling water. A bunch of fresh basil or two and a half mils, like a half a teaspoon of the dried basil. 250 mils of low-fat milk. I usually make this with either soy milk or almond milk um, just to keep it powered. A quarter of a teaspoon of ground cinnamon. Freshly ground black pepper to taste. Now, you will find in these recipes they do not add salt, but um, I, I like my salt, so I do kind of add it. It does then take it off the really healthy part. And the easy thing is, look, it is a high kilojoule meal, but it is great for ke- keeping you full. It is equivalent of three starches. So it is 1,448 kilojoules per serving. and you know, the glycemic index is a fairly high one, but it's not too bad. So you're going to heat your oil in a salt, in a pan. You're going to add your onions and cook over a medium heat for five minutes. Then you're going to add the sweet potato, the wine, the stock, and you're going to simmer this all covered for 20 to 30 minutes until your sweet potato is soft. Add the basil leaves and puree the soup in a food processor or blender for no longer than one minute. If you overprocess potatoes, they turn very gluteny and very like gloopy, very uncomfortable to eat. You're going to return the pot back onto the stove and you're going to add your milk or your soy milk, your cinnamon, 
and your pepper to taste and see how that goes. And it is great as a light meal once again, as I said, for, um, you know, winter. It's, it's perfect for winter. Now, another recipe for winter, and I will share this one as well. It is a Salisbury steak. Now, for those who don't know what Salisbury steak is, it's actually not steak. It's minced. And mince is a nice budget-friendly meal. That This turns it into something slightly more, you know, upmarket. So your steak ingredients basically are an egg, a third of a cup of dried crumbs, breadcrumbs, two tablespoons of Worcester sauce, a teaspoon of garlic powder, a teaspoon of salt, uh, the koshering salt. So that's the very coarse salt. Um, if you've got molten salt at home, that would be the perfect one, but otherwise your big salt grinder. A teaspoon of onion powder. Now, onion powder is a little difficult to come by and you can only find it, as far as I know, at Woolworths. And the problem is it is, it's because there's no preservative or anything, it cakes very quickly. So you do need to dig around in it to get your teaspoon of onion powder. A quarter teaspoon of freshly ground black pepper, 500 ml, uh, grams of mince and a teaspoon of oil. Now, you can use any oil you want, um, but they want a neutral oil. So olive oil is not considered a neutral oil because it has that peppery flavor to it. So I would use something like either your ordinary vegetable oils, a canola oil, an avo oil, one of those that are not flavored. Then for the gravy, they want some uh, mushrooms. They ask for crimini mushrooms, which are... Okay, they asked for crimini mushrooms, which are actually just plain brown button, button mushrooms. Pretty easy to do. Uh, they want six ounces. Six ounces works out to about 170 to 180 grams. One and a half teaspoons of the coarse salt again, but you're not going to put it all in at once. Unsalted butter. They want four tablespoons of unsalted butter. One onion chopped. Two sprigs of fresh thyme. To, um, if you're going to use dried thyme, it's about a half a teaspoon. Two teaspoons of flour, one tablespoon of tomato paste, a third of a cup of red wine, such as Cabernet Sauvignon. If you're not going to use red wine, then just uh, substitute chicken stock for that. And one and a half cups of chicken stock. So you're going to use whatever powder or stock cube you use with one and a half cups of water and a tablespoon of Worcester sauce. To make the steak, pretty easy. You're going to line a baking sheet with uh, baking paper. In a large bowl, you're going to mix your eggs, your bread, crumbs, your Worcester sauce, your garlic powder, salt powder, uh, sorry, salt, onion powder, and pepper, and then add in your beef. And you're going to mix it. You can use gloves, but I prefer to use it with my hands because I want it to be able to be kind of sticky on my hands so that that's when you know it's done. Then in a large pan or pot, you're going to heat a teaspoon of oil over a medium heat and just take off a small piece of the beef mixture and put it in the pot and cook it until it's brown on both sides just so that you know um, basically this is your taster. You can skip the step if you'd like. And then you season it you know, whatever's left to adjust the taste to that taster. It's not always necessary, though. 
Then you're going to form a, your beef mixture into little oval patties. Um, they can be about, I'd say, like mini burger patties. They don't need to be big ones. Uh, mini burger patties work well, well better over this. So I would say about five centimeters and then about a centimeter thick. You're going to arrange on a prepared sheet. You're going to just make the burger patties, put them on your baking tray that you've lined with baking paper. And then using clean finger, obviously, you're going to press little dimples into each patty, eight to ten of them. So it's going to get this like little fluted shape. In a large pan over the medium heat once again, you're going to heat the remaining oil and you're going to place each of these patties into the pan and reduce the heat to medium. So from medium high to medium, you're going to cook it. Don't touch it. Don't mess with it. Just let it sit in the pan for two to three minutes cooking until the bottom is really nicely browned. You're going to turn it over and you're going to do the same thing on the other side. Two to three minutes so that it gets a nice dark crust. Uh, just don't burn it. And then put it onto a plate to drain. For the gravy, you're going to use some of that oil from the cooking of mixture that you did from the fat that's drained off your beef. You're going to keep three tablespoons of fat from that and then get rid of the rest. You're going to take the heat back down to medium. You're going to put your oil back in. You're going to add your mushrooms and a quarter cup of water. And you're going to stir occasionally until the mushrooms are like a nice deep golden brown. And so is the liquid. It will take on the color of the mushrooms. Six to eight minutes. You're going to season it with about a half a teaspoon of the salt and put it in a bowl. You know, take it off the heat, put it into a bowl. Using the same pot, which is what I love about this recipe, it's one pot only, you are going to melt your, they want butter, but you can use margarine or oil. You're going to uh, melt your margarine. You're going to add your onion, your thyme, your half a teaspoon of salt, and you're going to stir that until the onions are slightly soft and translucent takes about five to seven minutes, depending on if you're on a gas or electric stove. Then you add your flour, your tomato paste, and cook. Stir frequently until the tomato paste is darkened and beginning to stick to the skillet. It takes about two minutes. Add your wine and cook, stirring until, slightly until it's reduced to a thick, jammy paste. It takes about two minutes. Slowly whisk into your stock and your Worcester sauce into this and bring it back to boil over a high heat then reduce to a medium-low, and simmer, stirring occasionally until it's thick. Remove your thyme, so it's through a strainer, because nothing worse than getting a mouthful of this thyme, and stir in your mushrooms. Return the steaks to the pot as well, covering it with a sauce, and um, simmer for another four or five minutes, and adjust your seasoning if needed. It's great to serve with mashed potatoes, and it makes a really filling winter meal. So I hope that that helps you with some ideas for winter. Up next, we are going to talk about kashrut updates from around the world. Whether you are halishing for halas or wanting to braai or fine dine, this is Essen Fresen with Adrian Bagatti. It's all about the food. It's time for kosher updates around the world. And obviously, we're going to start at home. So, Baker's Tennis Biscuits, the classic coconut rusks, are now kosher dairy with the Beth Din logo. 
Woolworths chocolate enrobed peanut brittle, 200 grams. So specifically with the barcode 6007875204773 is dairy. This is with or without your Bethden sign. Woolworths milk chocolate coated honeycomb, 200 gram with the barcode 6007875100396 are also dairy with or without the barcode. Before I carry on with the updates, I just wanted to make people aware. Woolworths um, prawn cocktail chips or something like that that they serve, there are two kinds. The one seafood one is not kosher. The other one is. So one is a dark pink pick a packet and the other one's a light pink packet. So please be very aware if you are buying those. Then let's continue. The following thirsty flavored sparkling waters are also now kosher parav with or without a logo. The lemon, the granadella, the berry, the nachi, the lychee, and the pineapple. Then health connection, whole foods, urethrol, and stevia blend sweetener pouches and sticks are also kosher parav when bearing the Bethden logo. The following clicks products are now certified with a Bethden logo. The delicious range of milk chocolate almond nougat and milk chocolate cherry Turkish delight are both milchik, they're both dairy. Then the delicious cherry Turkish delight, uh, delicious almond nougat and the cranberry and almond nougat are parav. Please check the stamps. First choice, UHT flavored vanilla custard incorrectly bears the Bethden logo of Parov. This is actually dairy. So they have contacted the company and corrective action has been taken. Kamati Foods popcorn, caramel bears, the incorrect logo. The product is dairy and corrective action is being taken. Then from Manchester Bethden, La Brioche Okay, French chocolate croissants. They bear the NWK, which is Northwest Kosher Parish symbol. The product is dairy equipment and not should be, and should not be eaten with meat. Products bearing NWK symbol are products certified by the Manchester Bethden that are dairy stam or made dairy stam equipment. So that's it. Please also be aware that there is a circulation going out that there are incorrect or illegal sort of fake kashrut signs that can now be found all over. Then there is a kosher alert for um, a kosher wine that was from MK Kosher. Uh, it has been brought to our attention that wine produced in Israel during Schmitter year is being sold in Montreal. This is indicated by the mention of Otsar Bethdin on the label from the 2022 harvest. Please bear in mind that this wine may pose halachic concerns. Contact your rabbi for guidelines before using it. So there are a few wines like that, so please be aware of it. Then please, oh, oh yes, you see here commonly confused symbols as well. There are Montreal kosher and Monterey and Manchester kosher all look very similar. They're symbols. So please remember, check with your rabbi which symbol meets your standard. I've said this every time. So Tabasco green jalapeno sauce is certified kosher by Rabbi Green Bath, even when missing the K symbol on the bottle or the box. But please note it is always kosher. 
Then Emek Hefer Apiary recalls the brand of pure honey from wildflowers, 350 grams, used by the 5th of March 2026. And Taman brand pure honey from wildflowers, used by 4th, sorry, the 20, sorry, 5th of March 2026. Forgot the Americans do their labeling different. And the other one is used by the 25th of May 2026 because they actually have milk in them. So that's an important thing to remember. Then KVH Kosher, uh, New Haven Shop is no longer certified kosher. Um, it is Shop 112 Amity Road. That one is still kosher. The one in Whaley Avenue in New Haven is not. Trader Joe's Instant Coffee is recalled because of glass in the product. So please be aware of that. Then Texas Pete, they have recalled the Texas Pete Buffalo Wing Sauce due to undeclared soy. And then faux kosher symbol on pediatric DVAT drops. Pediatric DVAT drops made by Akron Pharma Labs bears a fake kosher symbol. The symbol that claims the product is kosher was created by an Indian company that certifies product. There is no rabbinical certification associated with this product. So please be aware. Colgate disposable toothbases, toothbrushes. Ooh, this is an interesting one. They are not kosher and made from pork. Please be aware that it is a gelatin source. Very important. And that is all my updates for today. Please stay warm and stay sunny and light. In despite everything, I am Adrian B. Bugatti and I was your host.